0: Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out Toronto Today for Monday, December the 5th. Nathaniel Erskine-Smith joins us every two weeks, the uh, MP from Beaches, East York. And we asked him about the plight of a woman who says she's been struggling in her own home without a wheelchair ramp. And she's been asking for help to get that wheelchair ramp for five years. It's not even about economics. It's just the practicality of having it and moving around her house. Uh, Nate's been very very grounded and sensible and focused on the issue of assisted suicide but this has to be concerning for him and for everybody to hear so we get into that among other issues including bill 124 in the province of Ontario and the upward price of food expected for 2023 in a new report all with Nathaniel Erskine-Smith right now on Toronto Today it's great to have you back
1: yeah, thanks for
0: having me as always. Uh, I know y- you've been adamant, and you've made some uh, impassioned speeches about um, about made and uh, and about um, the idea of euthanasia in Canada. Um, and basically, when you became an MP, is when uh, the Carter v Canada case uh, began. And and we talked about decriminalizing, assisting in, uh, in in the end of life for others. But you probably saw the story as well about um, this former military veteran and Canadian Paralympian. It's quite a harrowing story. Now, this has to do more with, with um, a recommendation from the Veterans Affairs Office than it does anything to do with any specific branch of government. But I'm sure you saw the story. I want to know how you reacted to it.
1: A little bit uh, fr- with frustration because... It's interesting, just on a personal note, I, back when I was a student, I did my master laws in political philosophy and constitutional law at, at Oxford, and I actually did a, a part of my thesis on assisted dying, and what was then the Rodriguez decision, Carter was beginning to work its way through the mm-hmm. courts, and there's no question that we need to make sure that those who are suffering immensely from an incurable condition and are making an informed decision, a fundamental life decision that we have to leave to them to end that suffering, There are many cases where people consult with their family and loved ones, and and they're at at peace with this decision. We have to accommodate that that fundamental decision as a matter of dignity. At the same time, as we put protections in place and processes in place to ensure that it is not imposed on anyone whatsoever. And in a case like this, where the individual never raised it themselves, never suggested it was something they were thinking, veteran affairs had no business and, and should have no business raising it.
0: How do we get to the bottom of of how that happened? I'm not talking about outing somebody uh, who gave that advice, but there must be a way to track back and find out if there's a if there's a songbook, if you will, that Veterans Affairs just has wrong about how to provide this type of advice. It's it's not it's clearly not the only person they've given this to. Three other veterans have spoke up and 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 since the story came out and said something similar was told to me over the phone or in an email.
1: Right. Well, two things. One. There's people should know that veteran affairs raising this doesn't mean that it will be available to the individual, that there are it, it, it is a decision as between the individual and their doctor, in a matter of informed consent. Having said that, there absolutely have to be firm process in place and directives to everyone working for veteran affairs. that This is not something that is proactively raised with individuals. And that is happening from my understanding that the Minister of Veteran Affairs is doing an internal investigation to get to the bottom of this. And and there will be, if there isn't already, a a firm directive in place to, to all employees that this is not something that should ever happen again
0: when you became an mp i think i have this right you thought the bill at first the maid bill uh was was too restrictive there would be why did you think that then and there'd be some that wonder now if it's just not restrictive enough we're talking about uh parents giving permission for for kids of their own between as young as 12 to potentially end their life now that would be an extremely rare circumstance but just that door being open a crack it clearly is concerning for some people observing this
1: Right. So at the outset, what we did is we limited it to individuals whose death was reasonably foreseeable. And and that was interpreted by many to mean terminal illness. There are any number of individuals who, and and I've personally spoken to a family who the the wife, spouse was in excruciating pain, an incurable illness, devastating pain every day, impossible to live with, had applied and been rejected because her death was not reasonably foreseeable. She was at peace with us, her, her husband was at peace with this, and they couldn't access it. And there is a situation where it obviously should be available, because otherwise, what's the alternative? The alternative mm-hmm. is she would actually take her own life, probably by some violent or dangerous means. And so you, you can't leave someone with that cruel choice. Now, of course, at the same time, you want, you want to make sure it's available in a situation like that, while not having such a permissive regime where individuals are turning to it as a matter of course when we could be offering them greater assistance. And, and this is where I think a, there's a useful conversation we had about a measure like the Canada Disability Benefit, that we need to realize that in the most fulsome way possible so that no one who's suffering from an incurable illness or a disability and, and suffering a great degree mm-hmm. is looking at this as an option when alleviating poverty is, is the real answer.
0: Nathaniel Erskine-Smith is our guest on Toronto Today, a Liberal MP for Beaches East York. I know very early in the pandemic uh, you had a, a Zoom call in which you asked Pretty hard questions um, to a lot of the grocery chain executives because they canceled pandemic pay pretty early on after about four or five months. And it, you know, it looked to many and and you pointed it out like there was a little bit almost like we talk about in the sporting world, like collusion, like we're not going to sign free agents. Um, I'd ask now um, when we look today, we see food prices are set to rise another five point five to seven percent. Home prices are down. It's easier to buy a car. It's easier to get goods. Gas is down but the idea of food prices still being that thing that's hammering away at people's bottom lines and their wallets uh nate is really really problematic is there a solution
1: it's a good question i mean and a longer term solution is more competition in the space and, and that's an answer so you know in so many places across our economy whether it's telecommunications airlines and certainly the grocery store sector I I do think, you know, the competition commissioner is is looking into this and is undertaking an investigation in the course of increased prices and competition in this space. So we'll see the results of that and, and if there's legislative action necessary after that. At the same time, you know, from all my reading, we also, you know, energy prices are one major input, but... It's been the war in the illegal war and the unjustified invasion of Ukraine that's that's fueled many of these high prices as well. So I don't know that there is such an easy fix. What I worry in many ways is you got the Bank of Canada. There's going to be another rate hike coming and they're trying to address inflation. It's a pretty blunt instrument. When you've got a situation where you see, as you say, home prices softening, other goods softening, but food's not softening. I don't think we're going to address the cost of food hitting people with with increased rates over and over again
0: i know you're still weighing uh pros cons otherwise um to run for the ontario liberal leadership but you couldn't probably help but notice bill 124 overturned middle of last week um many political observers just didn't get the win uh, for for bringing it in in the first place. It was on constitutionally shaky ground from the get-go and not repealing it after getting another majority government. Now it turns out they may pay more, certainly through the legal process and and back pay, than they would have by allowing nurses to negotiate properly. uh, What were your observations of it?
1: Well, first, uh, I'm still exploring the idea. I was actually... In Kenora, Dryden and Sioux Lookout over the last few days, doing a bit of travel and listening and learning about other parts of our province and every corner of our province really is the goal. On this particular issue, this was only a matter of time. I mean, you had a situation where obviously from a legal perspective, they were going about it the wrong way. But from a policy perspective, you got a situation where there is a labor shortage, a major labor challenge in our hospital system and our healthcare system. And the answer to that. Is to increase pay, to incentivize individuals to work in the space, to bring people back out of retirement with in- incentives. And instead, what do we have? We have a situation where people are, are leaving the profession in droves because of the way we're treating them. And Bill 124 was emblematic of that. And and we've got to treat nurses with respect. We gotta we gotta provide fair wages and, and conditions. And Bill 124 was the exact opposite of that. So it, it's not only good from a legal perspective, but I think more to the point, it's it's best answer from a policy perspective.
0: And and you've probably even found anecdotally, I sure have, um, uh, unlike maybe education, unlike it, um, people have taken off and they're working in upstate New York, or they've moved to Michigan, or they've moved somewhere else, or they've gotten out of an industry they loved and were passionate about from the get-go because they just can't take it anymore. And we can't afford to lose those people.
1: Right. When you have a situation where there are workers who are absolutely necessary to something so important to Ontarians and Canadians like healthcare. And you have a situation where we're not paying people enough, and they are able to make more and have better conditions, and they're not suffering the same burnout, whether it's in the nursing profession, in a different geography, or in a different profession altogether. That's a problem that needs to be resolved. And we aggravated it. Well, we, the the (laughs) Ford government aggravated it with Bill 124. And we've got to take the exact opposite approach. and And that's respect, understanding burnout and and finding ways to keep people in the profession.
0: Thanks very much for the time, Nate. Covered a lot of ground today. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk uh, once more time before the end of uh, of the month. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, uh, Liberal MP for Beaches East York, our guest.